Okay. So, last time on Sunday School, we were talking about angels and demons, and Scott's been walking us through that for the past three weeks or so. Um, But today, we're going to bridge into a new topic, and that topic being, let me kind of use the board here, we've got a white audience. As you can see well on your handout, we are now moving into the study of ecclesiology. I have to look at it, otherwise I flip an I and an E and just mess it up terribly. So, ecclesiology. So, um, when we're talking about that, as you can well see, we're talking about the study of the church. Moving into the church, um, we're kind of in an interesting time. Like I said, we got to talk about angels and demons. Now we're going to talk about kind of the church and its time period. And then later, because Pastor Dave's not here, I can kind of like give spoiler (laughs) words. But we're going to move into eschatology, that being end times. So it's kind of funny when, you know, Scott kind of told me the next preceding ones. I was like, thank you, Lord, I'll take the church. (laughs) How many times? That's, That's tough stuff. So that's good. But... Really exciting. we got a lot that we can unpack here and everything else, but when we think about ecclesiology, I think it helps us to define these ology words. How do we get them? What are we talking about? Just like when we had talked about salvation, um, it kind of frames our minds. And then it also kind of creates a little bit of familiarity, because if you start getting into commentaries or systematic theologies, And those super smart guys start throwing words around. It can be easy to get lost quick. So ecclesiology, though, comes from the Greek word ecclesia. Ladies, is there? You guys are studying Acts. Is there? Is that right? Yes. Okay. I thought so. So this might be kind of reviewed for some of you. Um, felt like I remembered that. So ecclesia. Okay. So or ecclesia. Excuse me. Anytime, normally, that you would see church in the New Testament, the mass majority of the time, ecclesia is translated church or assembly or congregation, usually about kind of one of those three. Now, usually it is vastly translated as in church, okay? That kind of gives our framework. Another interesting piece about that word, and that's where we get the Ecclesiology kind of sound a little bit similar. You know, you kind of skip a couple thousand years and that's how you get it, right? But anyway. So, meaning and term of this word can also talk about those who are called out. And when we kind of think of that, what kind of gets my brain going and such like that is if you remember from our study of salvation, we also learned that God shows us his grace. He elects us to salvation, but also, if you very well may remember, he calls us into relationship with himself. He calls us to salvation through his son. Now, another interesting point to this is when we talk about this kind of ancient word, in the ancient world, this could refer to a group of citizens who had been called out to administrate some civic affairs or, say, defend a community in battle. There is a purpose. There is a structure. There is, quote-unquote, like a mission. And we, as the church, do have those things. So there is kind of a relation with that, kind of get our brains going, right? We do have purpose. We do have structure. And some of those things are what we're going to be looking at in the preceding weeks. So, okay? Um, So... 
want to kind of give the roadmap here too since we're just starting out. So what we're going to be kind of looking at here is we're going to talk about the origin of the church. We are going to give a definition of the church. We're going to talk about the purpose of the church. The government of the church, not how we relate to our earthly government, but the government, the structure, the hierarchy within the church. And we're also going to talk about the ordinances of the church. There's more than one. So, okay. I.e., like the Lord's Supper, baptism, that kind of thing. Okay? So we're going to kind of, that's kind of painting the picture for where we're going. Now, oftentimes when we think of the church, Kind of think if I said that word, church, what first pops into your head? Oftentimes it's like a picture. Maybe you think, like I do, I think of like Europe. I think of all the grand cathedrals. I think of stained glass windows, stone buildings, those kind of things. So sometimes we think of like a structure. Sometimes we think of people. So there's many ways in which that kind of first paints our thought process. Let me ask the question here and go a step further. How do many modern Christians do you think esteem the church today? How do you think they think of it, feel about it? If you had to take a guess. <laughs> it's funny, you, you mentioned the cathedrals in Europe and I watched some YouTube um, on, on different chateaus and stuff. And if they have a, a chapel on their land, they're also proud of it and they're wanting to fix it up. And their value is in the building and not what it stands for. This historical yeah. preservation. Yeah. Put but a plaque like, in front like of it. somehow it's going to bless them because it's there. Interesting. What else? I think a lot of Christians are quick <clears throat> to tolerate the church. Mm -hmm. So they'll say, I mean, you know, obviously you have the two parties. Um, at least in American Christianity and in, I don't know, a lot of cultural Christianity in general, you have the concept of, like, the church does good, but, and, and it comes even from, from people who call themselves Christians. So I don't know about esteem, um, but I think it's way too common where um, nobody wants to... Not nobody. A lot of people, especially those who call themselves Christian, don't want to say that they hate the church. Um, but they feel obligated to not say that they love it. <laughs> um, not the biggest of fans. No, yeah, I'm just like there's so you know there's so much wrong with the church and like the abuse that goes <coughs> on. And of course, these are bad things, but there's kind of the societal pressure to not to to tolerate the church and it's okay if you're okay with the church but like you have to realize all the bad things about it and you mm -hmm. you have to make those clear and known and, and so you're not allowed to like love the church so that'd be kind of from a fear and standpoint then because if i mean saying that you don't love the church because you're scared of what other people are going to say then um, then that's a fear of man standpoint and saying if you actually do love church then 
I mean, that's where we hold their esteem, is we hold esteem in the church because that is Jesus' bride. So if I had to take a listen as to what you guys are saying, perhaps sometimes the definition that's out there or what people view of the church ironically has a large impact of how we behave and what we do. I see a couple heads nodding. Yeah. So, well. I think a common thing you hear in the world is, oh, it's just a bunch of hypocrites. You know, they're practicing, not practicing what they preach. They act one way on Sunday and then another way the rest of the week. Now let me kind of pivot the question, okay? How do you think the majority of Christians would define the church? Do you think, because we're going to get to definitions, so I don't want to throw out definitions just yet. Do you think the mass majority, say, of those who would claim to be Christians have a proper definition of the church? Kind of a similar question. No? Kind of some confusion, right? So then with that, what then would be the danger of, say, undervaluing or improperly defining the church and understanding it? What might be some of those pitfalls that we could run into? How can you define something if you don't know what it is? I think it divides us too much as a large-scale body of believers because I think you start to identify with your local church when you have membership of and not realizing that it's bigger than that. It's all the churches in your city. It's all the, you know, all the churches all over the world. <laughs> Us and them. Yeah. There's those guys. Mm-hmm. They're weird. Okay. Kind of a tribal mentality. <coughs> We had two. <laughs> One and then two. I think that if you, you if your understanding of the church is off, um, then either I think you will um, reject something. I, I, I see there's a sense where people have an assumption of what the church is, and they reject it, and rightly so, but they think they're rejecting God's plan for the church, but what they're, what they're re- I, I see is a clear rejection, is of something that Christ didn't even say was the church. Um, and then also the, the same kind of the flip of that, that people will embrace something like an, that if you have an erroneous view of what church is, maybe a club or a social gathering, you'll um, embrace something that is, is lacking. Um, and when it, it could be, it sh- can and should be more full and richer and deeper and eternal. Too yes. poor. Yeah. yeah, that's good. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, on the one side, if it's, you overemphasize one specific thing, it can result in sort of this tribalism that misses out on a bigger picture of what God's doing. But the other side, probably more common in, in the United States and individualistic sort of countries, is a tendency to undervalue the church, and so it's sort of just an optional thing. And so I suspect the majority of those who call themselves Christians in the United States don't actually even participate actively in a local church. And so it's just sort of an optional thing that's out there, but they think real Christianity is just sort of me and God. Yeah. I checked my Easter box yeah. and Christmas. I got the, the major holidays. Scott. Mm. Yeah, I think one way that plays out is that their <clears throat> our or their um, theology is more about our creeds and the Christian walk is about our, what we think and what we know about God, which is part, but we miss 
the calling to show that through loving one another in the church and the great ministry that the church has and all the commands to us to, to love one another in the church. And so when we undervalue the church, we, we kind of miss those whole, all that teaching about how we're to treat one another, love one another, act in the church, all the ministry that goes on. I mean, there's so much of scripture that is specifically aimed at how we're to live as a body. Um, if it's understood wrong it's also going to be taught wrong like if you (laughs) if you understand incorrectly then you're also going to teach it wrong and then people will get confused and then likely they'll also continue to teach it wrong and so when confronted with the truth a lot of the time it'll be more confusing and upsetting than if they learned it correctly in the first place I thought it was this way, but you're telling me it's like this? Yeah. That's good. Yeah. And it can be a shock when they walk in our doors and they thought X or they thought Y of us. You know, which you're talking about a little bit now. Yeah. So obviously it's important that we get this right. You know? And so we want to make sure that we do have a good understanding of the church because this affects us directly, doesn't it? I mean... Not to give any definitions away, but I have a feeling it might be in this room. So um, let's talk before, though, that we talk about a definition of the church, what we kind of mean. Let's talk about origin, okay? When would we say that the church began? When was its starting point? What was its Marvel origin story, so to speak? I don't know, you know, however you want to word that. I'm almost marveled out. Like, they've done, like, 50 of them now. I'm starting to bail. Uh, so, when did it start? Now, one definition, that, or one defining feature that I want to kind of touch on briefly here, but kind of make sure that we are aware of, is that there are those that would kind of take Israel and the church and blend them together. And what I mean is, is that they would say, well, there's not really a differentiation between Old Testament and Israel in the church. Does that make sense? So they'd say we're kind of like one in the same. Now this can come in a variety of forms and to differing degrees, and it's actually a fantastic piece of, uh, I guess you'd say, theology of study to kind of look at in the regards of going into the covenantal promises of Israel. But that's not what we're going to do here, okay? But I just want to make you aware of that, because some people will say, okay, well, they're one in the same. Some people will say, well, the promises that were given to Israel in the Old Testament they now have been taken away from Israel because they rejected their Messiah, and now we hold all those promises. But if you look scripturally, you kind of get into some trouble awful quick here, right? Now, like I said, I don't want to dive too terribly deep here, but we do want to make the differentiation that there is a separation between the church and Israel, okay? Does that make sense? Now, let's kind of look at our first passage here, Matthew sixteen eighteen. Could I go ahead and get a reader for that, please? I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. So looking at this verse, and this idea of a separation, well, let's say you held the idea that the church and Israel are one and the same. How would this passage kind of grate against that notion? What do you think? It wouldn't need to be built. It was already built. Hmm. It's an easy observation, isn't it? I looked really deep and I was like, what? Like, but it's right there. I will 
There's a future tense. It's a not yet. So that's kind of like one key point right out the shoot is that if, you know, Jesus would probably speak in terms of, well, I had Israel and I'm going to mold him, form him, or I'm going to take away and put on. And, you know, we kind of get into some of that language there. But here it just simply says that Christ is saying, look, I will build my church. It's a future tense. 1 Corinthians 10.32, not in your handout. I'll go ahead and read it here. It says, give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Here again, another passage that kind of gives a listing. And Israel and the church are separated within that listing. Now also throughout the New Testament, as you read, there is a differentiation between Israel and the church. Okay? Sometimes there's a comparing and a contrasting that does happen. But in grand scale terminology or uh, grand scale theme, they do share that the two are separate. An interesting point is that I do hold from the standpoint of Israel still has covenantal promises that will come later on, but I'm going to leave that for Pastor Dave and eschatology, and we'll see if he touches any of that in his end times. So I haven't gotten a chance to talk with him if he's going to touch into that, but it's super, super cool. So at any rate, that's all I'm going to give you for now. All right. So now I want to look at 1 Corinthians 12, 13 there. And here, if I could get another reader here in just a sec. But let's look at what is it that we are looking at that's kind of a key point, a key moment, a key thing that we're looking for, that becoming part of the body of Christ, i.e. the church, what defines that? What is an event that takes place that we're looking for? 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Leo, could I get you? For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Okay. So, what is being pointed at here that's a requirement for being into this one body of Christ? What is it? Baptism. Baptism. Physical or spiritual? Spiritual. <clears throat> spiritual. So, we have to kind of think of a defining characteristic of all those within the church is there is a spiritual baptism that we're looking for that has taken place, okay? And this one, obviously, it's not pointing at water baptism. We're talking about that spiritual baptism. We're talking about the fact that the church is the spiritual body of Christ, and it's formed of believers, but those believers are immersed by Christ with the Holy Spirit. So Christ, you could kind of think of as the baptizer who immerses each believer with the Spirit into the unity of, of all the other believers. Remember, we talked about that um, in salvation. We talked about unity with Christ, the fact that when we come to salvation, i.e. we have faith, we repent, we've been regenerated. One of the awesome benefits of that is, and amazing, is that now God in the form of the Holy Spirit is living within us. We have spiritual regeneration. Now, that's a very key characteristic because any of those who are part of the church have that. Okay. And it's also not to varying degrees. We don't hold to like a second baptizing or the elders lay their hands and you get more of the spirit, that kind of thing. Once you're out of the faith, you have that. Okay, But with that explanation of we're looking for spiritual baptism, then the next question when we're talking about the origin of the church is we have to ask ourselves, when? When, where do we see that scripturally? How do we find that mark within the Bible where do we go? Okay, so when did this baptism take place? 
So, um, go ahead and Acts 1-5. Can I get another reader? If you have it, I pick you. Thank you. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Perfect, thank you. So this is Christ speaking, right? And this is right before his ascension. Okay, so we're past his death on the cross, payment for full, uh, payment in full for our sins. He has now uh, been resurrected, and now he's about to ascend, but he says, hey, wait, not many days from now, you guys are going to receive the Holy Spirit, be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. So we're getting close. We're in Acts, right? Acts 2, 1 through 4. Another reader. Malachi, thank you. <coughs> The day of Pentecost had come, and they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Perfect. So according to this passage, with what we just saw, Everybody's flipping the page, so you're going to go back and forth now. Maybe. When? When does this take place? What was that defining piece of information that we gained from the last passage? When did this happen? In the day of Pentecost. Pentecost. Exactly. Okay. So that's one of the Jewish holidays. It's the Feast of Weeks. Uh, It's when the wheat harvest was celebrated. Also... uh, would be known as um, Feast of Ingathering, Day of First Fruits. It's basically the second of the three pilgrim festivals for the Israelites, for Israel, okay? That happens along with Passover and Tabernacles. Now, it marks the end of the barley and the beginning of the wheat harvest. That's what we're talking about when we get to Pentecost. Now, there are some super cool, I wanted to flesh this out, but then I was like, we're going to rabbit trail really hard (laughs) with... There are some amazing um, relations. Uh, I'm trying to think of the sermon. It's left me now. But at any rate, between when Christ uh, is crucified and how it relates with the festival of Passover, and then also his resurrection and ascension and the giving of the Holy Spirit with Pentecost, there are some amazing relations. But I won't bore you with those details now. Um, and it would kind of takeaway so that's all I'm going to give you on that one but when we talk about Pentecost what we're kind of looking at here what we begin to kind of take in is we have kind of our scope of time all of the history of the world and mankind now obviously we have eternity past where it's only God right nobody else is there at that point but and we have creation, and that's the beginning of kind of when we step on, we as in mankind are created and step onto the scene. And then we kind of have this age, I guess you could say, and you could split this up a ton of ways. So if you see other charts that say differently or something like that, it, you, you can break this up in a number of ways. I'm just kind of giving an overview. Then we kind of come, quote unquote, like have our Old Testament period, right? We have the giving of the law, we have Moses, we have uh, David and the kings, we have the exile for the Israelites, the return to Israel. But then we come up on, and we know what's next, right? And that would be the New Testament, which starts with the Gospels. And then the defining feature there is Christ's birth. Because all throughout the Old Testament, there are always these illusions and always this pointing forward 
of the coming Messiah, the King who is to come. And that's like always the emphasis in the Old Testament, pointing towards Jesus. And then Jesus steps onto the scene, and we kind of have this kind of quote-unquote like shift, I guess you would say. And we have Christ's ministry. Uh, let's see. Yeah. Okay. So we have that time of Christ's ministry, but we also know that that comes to an end because eventually, then we have his, his death on the cross as payment for our sins. We have his resurrection. I'm just going to abbreviate here because we've got some big words in our another room. And his ascension. Now it's at that moment that we have kind of quote unquote another break, and then there's something else that comes after that. And some would say there is a 10-day period from when what we just read in Acts occurs within 10 days. So I just gave like, I don't know, hundreds, thousands of years, you know, and I would just, we'll be able to blood. So this isn't to scale. <laughs> so I was going to point that out. Yeah. 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 Get that ruler out. It will massively fail. So, right. Sorry, Mr. Marshall. Um, so about 10-ish days from there, then we have Pentecost. At that moment, that's when we see the Holy Spirit come in, right? This tongues of flame, rushing wind, which there's some really interesting details because if you think about it, the Holy Spirit's described as what in the New Testament? We talked about it during salvation. Jesus describes it, the wind goes where it wishes, right? And he's talking about the relation with the Spirit. There's also some really cool things about like tongues, flames of fire. We're always asking like, what did that look like? Was it little campfires over everybody's head or like how'd that work out? You know, and I don't know if we can really hard put it. That's what the word says. So we take it at face value. So there are many theories, but my point in is this. Now we've kind of come into, uh, let's put this, church age. Okay, so from that point onward, Holy Spirit now is taking up residence inside believers, and now the mission of the church is to go and spread the gospel, making disciples of all nations, and that's where we now find ourselves. To current today. So you can kind of think of this bar, if the Lord tarries, right, as kind of ever moving, getting a wee bit longer every day. Right? We're within that church age. Now, of course, like I said before, I also know there's something to come. Right? We've been given further revelation that will be fulfilled, i.e. the book of Revelation. So we know there is something else that's going to be happening. We'll kind of draw an arrow. But, like I said, we'll just call that Pastor Dave's class. Okay? <laughs> there again, I'm bailing. <laughs> so that's where we're headed. But... This is where we reside right now. We're within that church age currently, okay? So that's kind of what we talk about when we get to the origin of the church. And we always have to, like I said, we make that distinction between us and Israel. But make sure I don't get lost in my notes here, okay? So that's when we start, and that's where we are. And so, like I said, if the Lord tarries, that's where we're going to work continuing back. Okay? Does that make sense? All right. Definition. Let's give a definition of the church here, okay? If you say, let's say you're super bold, this would not be me. 
let's say said festival is going on downtown or something like that, and you're like one of those uh, polling people that go around and ask super crazy questions and take your numbers. How would you think, if you were to kind of just hit the streets, ask random people, how would they define the church? We've kind of touched on a little bit of this. But if you were to just kind of take a sampling of your best friends, your classmates, whatever, what kind of, what would you get? What do you think you'd get for a definition of the church? An institution, a religious institution. An outdated religious institution. Oh, yeah. Hey, she's in the church age just like you. What else? Some might say God's people, but some might narrow it more down to like the idea of the local church. Like, oh, you can go to a church and worship God. Not understanding. You said before a, a building, and you go to a church. So I think a church is a, a place. Mm-hmm. I am borrowing from your definition just a little bit, but cheater. <laughs> ah, all right, go ahead. No, do it. You came up with it before you looked. No. <laughs> so. I believe most people would say something to the tune that doesn't say the the word believer within the definition, in their definition. I don't know if they would use believer in their definition of the church. And I think that's inherently one of the most important words of that definition. Because if you would ask them what's a believer, you get a host of things. That may not be. So that's that's my opinion. It's those people that go to yeah. that place. Yeah. Part of that institution. Yeah. Okay. A place to teach kids morals. Big <laughs> place for kids. I like to write it off just as another religion. <clears throat> oh, should I go as far as seeing a cult? Mm. Ooh, I see. I would say that there are true and false churches. Mm-hmm. We do acknowledge that, right? So, yeah, I mean, there are some. So, yeah, I mean, depending on said person, you could get somebody who's very hostile to the church and say they're all just a bunch of cult, right? It would depend on their their stance or mood for the day. So. Uh, yeah, get the spotlight if you're loud. I know people that lump all the churches in the one category, mm-hmm. a church. So in other words, they don't care if it's Catholic or Christian or Mormon, they just call it the church. And all the church people are weird, psycho, whatever, Bible beaters. But not all churches are exactly the same. <laughs> yeah, it reminds me of that. What is it? The the coexist bumper sign? Yeah, all the yeah. Mm-hmm. kind of like that's a church. That's a, it's a church. Yeah. Coexists mm-hmm. within the church. Okay, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Oftentimes, it's um, it's a, it's. I think it's really informed by experience. People, or lack of experience with people claiming to belong to a church. So, if you. If you don't really know anyone who claims to be a believer or attends church, it's kind of media-based, TV, news, movies, etc. 
And if you only know one person, right, or two people, sometimes you base your majority view of the church on what that person says or does. So a lot of people that I come into contact, it seems like when they talk about the church and the way Christians are, it's either primarily based on their experience within a church or people that they know claiming to be Christians, or if they have little to none, it's what they've seen. Flanders from The Simpsons. Sometimes that's, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have, a, I have a colleague that doesn't get out a lot and doesn't know many people that um, just very few relationships. And so, yeah, it's like news, media, stuff like that, yeah. I think a lot of people's first or greatest encounter with the church from a media perspective is places like Westboro Baptist. It's become just another yellow journalism format. <coughs> how can we make somebody look bad? Um, and so a lot of people like that rely on the news are going to see a picture of the church, which is obviously a lot of the times completely wrong, and the other amount of the times still pretty wrong. Which is also really hard for us uh, as the church because it's like. I'm not like that, you know? Or it's like, you're getting Jesus wrong in that representation. That's kind of one of my big pet peeves. It's just like, Also, like, kind of adding on with the news thing, a lot of the time it's comparing, like, things that happened in the past with, like, different, I guess, branches or types or things that did parade around as Christian, comparing those to, like, different branches now. And a lot of the time it can be, what's, um, I don't know the word right now, but it's like the contrast of it is incredibly vast. They'll expect something horrible, but since a lot of the time they don't see it, they're gonna assume that it's like the scary ball of I think another, excuse me, I think another common thing um, is like going to churches that are a little out there and then you base like your entire experience and definition on that and like it's really hard to come back like speaking from experience and like going to a church that's like really bible believing and I, that's another hold up that I see with a lot of people just in conversations and from my own personal experiences going to those out there churches and then being scared to come back to a church that like really believes the bible Mm. Certain difference, yeah. Because some could say we're a fairly calm bunch here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just speaking from the older generation. Um, we went to church because that's what you did yeah. on Sunday. You went in. You sat there, you listened to this 
preacher stand up and preach and turn red in the face and stomp up and down and talk about how you're going to go to hell. And then you went home and had chicken. Yeah. Very much a culture idea. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just a thing you did on Sunday. Why weren't you in church? Yeah. Yeah. Well, my dad used to joke, and he said, "If you don't go to church, they'll think you're a heathen." <laughs> well, let's on that note. What are we talking about? So let's get to a definition here, okay? What are we talking about? What is the definition of the church? It's simple, right? And many of you guys are like, I already know this, right? So the church is the community of all true believers. From the day of Pentecost, as our origin story would kind of tell us, forward. That's where we're going to point that, okay? Now, some of you guys have already hinted at this. There is... Local, the local and the universal church. So let's define those, and then let's talk about those, okay? We've kind of already done a little bit of this, but when we talk about the local church, that's literally what it sounds, very easy definition. I mean, that's like us here, Flint Hills Bible Church. This is one of the local churches within the city of Emporia. We don't claim to be the only local church in Emporia. We do have sister churches that we partner with, that we do ministry with, and those kind of things. But that defining characteristic of all true believers is what we're looking for, right? So you could have a local church, not only here in this town, but in other towns, other states, and then it gets broader, right? Other countries. So there are local churches located all over the world. And we kind of point at that local because, I mean, it's it's here. It's within, right here, like this room, right? All of you true believers, you form that local church, okay? And the Bible points to that. We have the church that's in Jerusalem. We have Asia Minor, Rome, Corinth, Galatia. There are these churches that when they're spoken of, they're defined with said city that they are located in, okay? Now, one of the four of the defining characteristics that you're going to find within the church is they're going to be participating in worship, fellowship, <coughs> we're going to have instruction, and then we're also going to have ministry, Right? Mm-hmm. Sending out missionaries, evangelism, those kind of things, that outreach. Those are four defining characteristics that the church is doing and is a part of. Okay? Makes sense? So we have that local church. Now we also, as I've already hinted, we have the universal church. We have churches all over the world that we would then also call our brothers and sisters in Christ. There are true believers everywhere. From China to Nebraska, or however you want to form that, that right? And so, Smiths, I know you guys can probably talk in nauseum about uh, international churches that you guys know they are true believers, and we count as our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, okay? We look at them straight on, right? Same adoption, like adoption, remember we talked about that with salvation? I feel like I'm going to keep drawing from that, right? That's like where I was at for so long. But one of the benefits is we have adoption, they are adopted too, just as we are. So we look across the table and we see our fellow family members within the household of God. So universal and local. Now there is a sense that within the two, 
you do have an overlap. Okay? Where the two do overlap. And so my question to you is, what does this overlap look like? And how much overlap is there between the local church and the universal church? <clears throat> what do you guys think? And why is it important? Thoughts or ideas? I mean, you are the wiser, older version of me, so you should <laughs> Not less handsome. Not less handsome. <laughs> Debatable. <laughs> We'll say that for afterwards. <laughs> I mean, ideally, local churches should all fit within universal church. You should have lots of little circles within universal, and there should be complete overlap in that sense. So local church is a subset of the universal. But in the real world, universal includes all true believers, and the local church includes those who identify as believers. And so within the local church, you can have those who identify as Christians, but they may not actually be Christians. Um, so in that sense, there's... A piece of the local church that doesn't always fit fully within the universal church. Because universal God knows, and the local has to do with our identification and recognition of those who profess faith. Mm -hmm. So really, maybe another correct diagram could be like, we have universal, and then within it, We have all the local. Yeah, that would each be each one's kind of sort of edge, so it has a little sliver. <laughs> <laughs> it's not really. Also, as, as a young man, I was a professing believer, but I wasn't actually a believer. So in that sense, I'd be one of those. I was one of those who was part of a local church, but didn't actually trust in Jesus. So I fell outside the oh, true man. universal church. No. So then we have little. Uh... <laughs> okay, little so my, Josh. My diagram isn't going to do so great. Out. <laughs> We'll be diverging hard here. Yeah. And Jason, that actually matters our interpretation of the New Testament, not to go too far, because when um, the apostles write letters to local churches, they're writing letters to those who identify as Christians. Some of them may tr turn out not to actually trust in Jesus. I, th I think it's pretty clear in the book of Hebrews and other locations. Whereas the universal church really is all true believers, and God knows all those who belong to the universal church because he knows their hearts, and he drew them in. Exactly. And they, you know, the New Testament instructs us that that's, you know, in 1 Corinthians and 1 John, that, there, that that's a reality, that there are those within the church who are not of the church. Mm -hmm. What to do about them, how to deal with them, how to identify them. So it's just something that we can expect. And then I would also say, you, you know, if you packed it really tight with circles, right, you would hope, oh, like in those in the universal circle, there's all that space, right? So. Where there's if you're not in one of those circles, that's like a believer, but they're not in the church. Mm -hmm. So like ideally you'd want that to be mm -hmm. really packed with circles. Right. right? So that all the universal believers are also in one of those small mm -hmm. little local bodies. Although we know there may be some who are saved in places where there aren't really a fellowship or that's really small. That's good. Hmm. Our church pizza is looking really good. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> it's vegetarian. It's cool. <laughs> Judy. Yeah. Where would you place 
people like that say, I don't go to church because my church is wherever I'm at. I believe in God, so I don't really necessarily need to go to church because I see God in the trees and wherever I am. And my deer stand. <laughs> so, where do these people place, I mean, in the whole spectrum of everything because... I believe that this is my personal belief. I believe that they can truly believe in God and in His Son, mm -hmm. and yet not, they're missing out by not participating in a body of believers. But I think they can believe without, without belonging, without being in. Body. Does that make Yeah, no, that makes sense. total sense. And I think the answer to that question is obviously varying because we have to, if, if we encounter said individual who makes that claim, we need to ask some questions because the church has immense meaning to Christ, right? We know that it says he died for her. She's described as his bride. And oftentimes, maybe you guys have heard this as well from the pulpit. Pastor Dave always talks about, like, well, that's like saying you like me, but you don't like Becky. We're, this, we're, we're one in the same. We're a package deal here. So with that, like, individual, we have to kind of ask some questions and get to know them. We have to think of the fact of it's like, well, okay, is there something like you're angry at the church and that's why you're not going? Is it you're in a locality where, unfortunately, super remote, but the only other church is highly heretical? Or is it just a stubbornness of I don't like to get up early and come on Sunday mornings to participate? Is it a fact of perhaps laziness or neglect? So it's not a per se like one answer, but we kind of have to diagnose that. Does that kind of help or make sense? But it is important because I know, for instance, like in my own life, it's easy to just be like, oh, we're going to miss this Sunday. I'm not going to go this Sunday. But then it's kind of ironic, isn't it? You miss one, it's not hard to miss two or three, and then before you know it, you only see them every six months or so. Yeah, I mean, it does take effort to get up and to go and to go be a part of, but oftentimes, and my wife's always pointed out, like if we're having a super hard weekend with the kids or something like that, coming to church is sometimes the best thing for us. Mm -hmm. We get rejuvenated, we get set right. Same way with Friday morning Bible studies. Like I could be at the end of the week, but being again with and amongst my fellow brothers, I get that energizingness. I'm set right. We're listening and studying the word together. They sharpen me, you know? So it is important. We were meant to be in community. I often think of it kind of like, uh, you know, can you have a Christian on a desert island? I would say yes, right? Like just being on a desert island doesn't kick you out. But it really stinks to have fellowship only with a volleyball. Right. <laughs> so. If I could say loudly what Aiden said quietly. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so I'm going to give you credit where it is here. But, um, and you can tell me if I said anything that contradicts what you were actually going to say. Quote, quote, Aiden, go. Um, but essentially, if you're trying to leave the spiritual pizza, 
Um, like, if you, if you yourself are attempting to be outside of it, um, I mean, Aiden, Aiden specifically said, like, okay, yeah, you're no. outside. <laughs> <laughs> now, let's clarify. Aiden, go. What I meant was, I think if you're someone that has the option of being in a local church and has a good, solid church, and you just think, no, I'm going to go be with God amongst the trees, <laughs> running with the... The idea that that looks like a pizza. You're outside the pizza. You're the bacon bit that's out on the <laughs> Soon to be swept off. Yeah. Okay. And so my conclusion from his very wise words was just if you're trying to leave, if, if, you're, if you had a chance to be on the pizza and you are trying to get off the pizza, then, I mean, what does that say about your faith? Yeah. Um, if you are actively choosing to not participate in God's specific mandate for the church, um, then are you are you really a believer? Yeah. The Apostle John says, "They came out from us because they were not of us." Nice, Aiden. Yeah. yeah. I think John's quoting John's quoting Aiden. <laughs> yeah, and that's one of the things that, as John as John mentions, it's it's to make visible the, the inner reality. He says, "For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us." And so that's one of the signs. A lot of times, we God allows us to look at signs, not to say the sign is what. What is causing it? It's like a fruit or an evidence of something that's going on internally. So. And I think sometimes people step out because of a hard, rebellious heart. And sometimes it's a lack of understanding. Sometimes it's tremendous weakness and pain. And so I think that that just, uh, yes, they came out <clears throat> from us because they were not of us. It, but I think maybe we start off with the conversation, recognizing that it's, that there, there can be multiple factors and really wanting to assess that with a heart of compassion and wisdom. Sometimes local churches, because they're imperfect, can also be really messy. And sometimes a really messy local church, unfaithful leadership, and cause people to step away, not from the pizza, but get off the pepperoni. <laughs> and, and for a while, they're, they're wandering. Yeah. But it's always, it's, it's, it's never uh, what's intended. There's always yeah. something wrong. Yeah. Yeah. When someone is not yeah. in church, mm-hmm. the church or the person are both at the same yes. time. Yes. Yes. Exactly. And that was touched on earlier when people were describing the way they view the church. Many people would say, "You know, I'm not a fan of the church because they're just filled with a bunch of hypocrites." And, and when you look at it, no one can live up to every command in the Bible, so everyone can use that as a justification <laughs> to do what they want to do, and that's yeah. the problem. And, and it's part of that. Part of that is just remembering that uh, you know, we, such were some of you and all of us, when we come to church, we can't expect perfection from the church, you know, that we're all a body of believers who are being sanctified and God is using the gifts he's given us and also our flaws because we're going to hurt and harm one another in our sin. And in that sin, there's an opportunity to exercise the same grace and forgiveness that we've received in the gospel with our brothers and sisters. And so when we, there's so much in the commands of the church about how to reconcile over and over again with the church because there's going to be sin. Yeah. And one of the key elements of 
our churches. When we have issue with one another, we're first called to go face each other. You know. Yeah, and I thought I think it's interesting you mentioned that um, I believe the only two uses of the church in the Gospels are I will build my church, mm -hmm. and then uh, if he doesn't listen to you, take it to the mm -hmm. church, tell it to the church. Um, so when Jesus is talking about how to reconcile with someone who has sinned against you, you go to others. And so if you think about where where did Jesus, where did the apostle talk about the church, I think those that word only comes up in those two places. Yeah, it's pretty uh, in the in the four gospels until we get to that. So very specific context. Yeah, I think our motivation too, if someone and only God knows the heart, but so if we're just coming for a social club, like Naomi said, or if it's just coming, you know, to find someone you're going to marry, <laughs> or if you're just going for other motives if, without actual saving faith, and eventually you're not going to last. It's, you're going to fall out. You're going to see some things that are not, you know, agreeable to your flesh, and you're just going to oh, blame that, and you're going to leave. I think the best definition I heard of a church is like a military operation where it's not just a hospital, but you have a triage. You also have a training. You have a boot camp. You have a, all united under the main purpose of following Christ, our <coughs> captain, who is, you know, we're, we're spreading the gospel. So if, if we aren't following the word of God, we don't have a relationship with Christ in the first place, church is, you know, just going to be a social club. Yeah. Not going to find perfection here. That's okay. <coughs> And then, I just one last thing. Um, um, sometimes, when we view the church and we see its you know, the flaws of individuals, we can forget um, the way that it, it's described in Ephesians when he's talking to husbands and wives, and says, you know, that uh, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church, and he gives a description. Uh, as he loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And so it really magnifies the work of what Christ has done to see all the flaws in the church and to see that he has, through his, uh, what he's accomplished on the cross, washed her, sanctified her, cleansed her, um, that she's without spot or wrinkle and holy and so it shows a really high value of the beauty of the church. Okay. Let's push the pause button. Wait, did I get one more? I don't want to leave anybody out. Okay. All right. Well, let's go ahead and pray for today, and we'll pick this back up next week, okay? Well, Father God, we do thank you so much for this time. We have gotten to look at your word. We have gotten to um, have good conversation amongst each other. Lord, we see the importance of the church, Lord, that you have brought us in by Christ and Christ alone. And Father, while we do not claim perfection, we are looking to the one who is perfect, that being Christ and Lord, by your power working within us through your spirit, may we day by day look more and more like Christ to your glory. And may we love those around us as he loved them. Father, we just love you and we thank you for this time. Please be with us now as we go to worship and the preaching of your word. May it be all to your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.